Hey, well, what's up? Pacific Coast Church, Pastor J.F. Wilkerson here, and I just want to welcome you today to Church Online, wherever you're watching from. Thanks for tuning in. And I also want to say happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, man, this is always kind of the start of summer across the nation, and so I know a lot of you Pacific Coast Church folks are uh, traveling this weekend with your families, you're on road trips, you're having barbecues. I bless all of you in Jesus' name, and I'm just so grateful for you for even tuning in. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, also, we just wanna welcome uh, new folks that are watching right now, wherever you're watching from, whether it's right here in the great Pacific Northwest, maybe Tacoma, Lakewood, Puyallup, Gig Harbor, whatever your neighborhood is, welcome, welcome. And then, of course, nationally, and we even have friends that tune in internationally. So thank you for being here today. Listen, we've got a lot going on this summer in the life of our church. So we're really, really excited. First uh, announcement that I have for you, June 19th, which we're actually celebrating two national holidays, Father's Day, where all the dad's at, and of course, Juneteenth, which we're really excited about too. And so, I, I, listen, I don't want you to miss that Sunday because I am going to have, speaking, one of my spiritual fathers, uh, mentors in my life, Pastor Robert Penton, and you do not want to miss this. He's a father. He's been a a pastor for three decades. He's retired now, but uh, an activist for Jesus and um, in our community. And so you're not going to want to miss that. And by the way, for the summer, that day, we're switching to just one in-person gathering at 10 a.m. You know, we've had two services at Mount Tahoma High School, 9 a.m. and 11, but we just know that people during the summer, uh, you're on vacation, you're traveling. And so for the summer, until Labor Day, we're just gonna be at one service, 10 a.m. And so we want you to be there. You do not wanna miss this. We're gonna have a gift for the fathers. We're gonna just have a wonderful time. So please make sure if you're able to meet in person with us, 10 a.m., June 19th, Sunday, make sure you're there. And then also, we're really excited, July the 3rd, uh, obviously in the great Northwest, the weather really starts getting good. And so we want to have an outdoor gathering, which will be at 10 a.m. And it's going to be in the gorgeous courtyard at Mount Tahoma High School. We're gonna have, it's gonna be more of like a family environment, fun environment. We're gonna have wonderful praise and worship. You're gonna hear a short message. There'll be bounce houses, snacks, the whole thing. So make sure you're there. Bring a lawn chair, a blanket. It's gonna be a really, really great time. So put that on your calendar, July the 3rd. Also, mark your calendars June the 12th, Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We are going to be honoring graduates. And so make sure if you're graduating from high school on, grad school, the whole deal, make sure you contact us at info at pacificcoast.church. You can get all of the information there. We're gonna honor you and it's gonna be a wonderful time. So mark your calendar June the 12th in both of our Sunday gatherings, 9 a.m. and 11. Hey, we wanna continue this time of worship together through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. So it, it, listen, if you're just brand new to this, don't feel obligated to participate. This is really a time for those of us that call Pacific Coast Church 
our place, our local community. And really, this is just an obedience thing. And uh, it's a trust thing, trusting in God, knowing that it all comes from him and being obedient to what the scriptures clearly teach about how we're supposed to be generous with our finances to his kingdom. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who gives so generously, so faithfully here at Pacific Coast Church. It literally blows my mind of the, of the faithfulness of God's people here at Pacific Coast Church. So I just want to say thank you. It is, I'm telling you, what, 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 we, what we've been able to do for uh, you know different Jesus organizations here locally in Pierce County at the national level, at the international level is unbelievable and it's through your faithfulness. I thank you so much for it and I bless you in Jesus' name. Maybe you've been a part of uh, PCC for a while and you've kind of been on the fence with this thing. I, hey, listen, uh, I'm not putting any pressure on you. Ask God, talk to God about this and, and he'll speak and, and, and he'll, he'll let you know what to do. We are so grateful and thank you. If obviously you're watching online right now, probably the best way and the easiest way to give is just text the word donation to 84576. A link will come. It's pretty clear. You click on that and, and you can uh, give us your information there. Or you can always mail your checks, written out checks, to Pacific Coast Church P.O. Box 66026, Tacoma, Washington, 98467. And listen, if you could give us as much information as you're willing to give, we want to properly receipt you, all right? Thank you so much for your giving. God bless. Hey, Pacific Coast Church, Pastor Ashley here. We want to welcome you. Wherever you're watching or listening from, we are so grateful that you've joined us today. We are still in this series called Identity. We're looking deeper at who we are and why we're here. And I don't know about you, but my heart has been aching so much in the last few weeks. So much horror in the world. The war in Ukraine and all those atrocities, more horrendous racially motivated hate crimes, the massacre in Buffalo, the mass shooting in Texas. I would guess that many of you feel like I do. It feels gut-wrenchingly hopeless. I spent a lot of time, honestly, this week just angry, so mad at everything we are seeing. And I realize that that anger is part of the grief cycle and that many of us are grieving because it's all so painful. It's painful in a way that it's honestly hard to articulate and it's so much worse for some than others. But it's so painful that sometimes our fleshly default is just to ignore it, right? Most of you know JF's aversion to all things medical, but I have my own medical stuff that kind of goes in the opposite direction. Let me explain. I have kind of a high tolerance for pain. And when I say that, it's not me like trying to brag that, oh, I can endure stuff. My medical charts actually note this. And while that might sound like it's, you know, a really amazing trait, it can actually be really dangerous. I remember how scary it became on the day that we had our first child, our daughter Israel. We were living in the heart of Los Angeles. Izzy was two weeks past due, and I remember I woke up early and mentioned to JF that my stomach was kind of hurting. 
he asked the obvious question, is it contractions? And my response was, no, it can't be. It's not that intense. I would imagine contractions are so different. I must have eaten something weird, right? I even called the doctor and explained how minor the pain was. So the doctor wasn't even concerned. So we hung out and did more stuff around our tiny little apartment to get ready for Izzy's arrival. And a few hours later, the same stomach cramps were still there. JF insisted that we should get to the hospital just in case. Side note, that is something he would never do if we were talking about him seeing a doctor. But anyway, we arrived and we walked in to get checked in. And as soon as the nurses took a look at the situation, uh, they told me, ma'am, you've been in labor for hours and this baby has not dropped still. I'll never forget the doctor looking at JF and explaining, sir, if we don't get your wife into an emergency C-section right now, you might lose your wife and daughter today. He said it like I wasn't even there. JF was mortified. I don't even know that I was feeling anything, right? I remember the rush all around me seemed to like stand still. Praise God that the surgeons and the doctors were able to get Izzy out in time. Obviously all is well, everyone's healthy. But I tell you this story to make this point. There are many times in our lives that pain plays an integral role. And often we're taught to just ignore it, but if you ignore the pain or grief that you're feeling, it could be to your own demise or even to the demise of what God is desiring to birth in and through you. There is a reason that God allows us to feel this. Acknowledging pain is necessary and often beneficial. Scripture continually uses the illustration of a body in referring to the church, right? Calling us the body of Christ. I believe that if we don't acknowledge our own pain or the pain of those around us, not only will it be to the detriment of the body as a whole, but I believe it could also be the death of what the Lord is desiring to birth through us as his church. So what is our identity as the church? I feel like we've been asking that a lot, right? What is our purpose? What is our role? What does God call us to? And especially when we experience pain and grief on these levels in regard to the sin and the darkness of the world all around us, I believe God gives us clear instructions for this throughout scripture. But today I want to talk about one very specific passage in 2 Chronicles. JF used this passage in noon prayer on Wednesday, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to focus on these instructions this week. In this passage, God is responding to Solomon's prayer about the sin in his land. And Solomon's asking God to bring forgiveness and healing. And this verse that we're going to look at today is the response that God gives to him on how he desires to do that. And friends, I believe this applies to us today as well. This is what the Lord is saying to Solomon. This is also what God, I believe, is instructing us as the church. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
Friends, if we want healing in our land, scripture has given us clear directives. And today, I want to look deeper into this passage and allow the Lord to begin to reveal His Word and our identity as the church, as believers, as His body in a brand new way. Let's go back to that passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, I wanna stop right there. I wanna help you understand what the Lord showed me this week. I believe that the Lord has continually built such a beautiful foundation in this series. Each message has been building on each other. Do you remember when we taught on the Lord's name a couple weeks ago? I want you to remember that when the Bible mentions in the name of Jesus, or in God's name, or in the name of the Lord, yes, number one, it's talking about the, the authority of God, right? The authority of the Most High. But it's also talk about talking about us operating in His spirit, in His heart, in His mindset, and for His kingdom. It literally means in the original language, representing the Lord. So what do I want you to see here? God doesn't just say in this passage, if people who claim to be followers of me, he doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, if my people. He says, if my people, but he adds, who are called by my name. Do you see this? It's not enough just to be his. We also have to represent him. He's talking about people who aren't just saved. They're not just taking on his love and grace, but the ones who are also taking on his name. The ones who take on his likeness the ones who allow his spirit to transform their hearts and minds to be more like him. The ones who make choices that follow what he's instructed and what heaven looks like. I love how the complete Jewish version, the CJV, starts this passage. It says, if my people who bear my name, meaning those people who make choices to represent my name and heart. They have chosen to take on who I am and represent what I stand for, to represent me. Those are the people he's talking about. So if you're simply calling yourself a believer or a follower of Jesus, but not making life choices that look like his kingdom, I believe, yes, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, but you won't see the fullness of your purpose, your calling, or the fullness of his power that he desires to utilize in and through you. If you are a follower of Jesus, this passage, these directives are for you. He said, it's not enough just to be my people. If you wanna see these results, you have to be called by my name. You have to understand that your calling is God's character. I love how James explains this. James 1 verse 22 and through 24 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Okay, I gotta be honest, this passage always makes me think of my dad. Let me explain. 
When I was younger and living in their home, he had this saying, whenever any of us kids would ask him like something absurd that we wanted or something dangerous or something really ridiculous, he wouldn't say, heck no, or that's crazy or anything like that. No, he would simply very calmly say, um, wait, where's a mirror? Bring me a mirror. Now we all knew exactly what that meant. It meant bring me a mirror because I need to check my reflection right now to see if I really look that stupid. <laughs> That's my dad for you. Quite the way to get the point across. But I think what James is saying here is that if you only hear God's word and don't put it into action, then you don't even know who you are. It's like you forgot your own reflection and more importantly, who you are supposed to be reflecting. Okay, maybe you need to adopt that phrase, but make it biblical. If you are questioning what you should be doing in any given situation, maybe you should say to yourself or to your accountability, um, where's a mirror? Like, who am I? Ask yourself, who am I actually reflecting with these decisions? And be honest with yourself. Friends, when we read God's word, when we dive into the passages and stories, we see who God is. We see his heart, we see his nature, we see his desires, his love, his passion, what hurts him and what pleases him. We see God in his word. When we do his word, when we act representing who God is, again, his heart, his nature, his desires, his passions, then God is seen in and through us. So James is saying here, when you get in God's word and you only hear it, but you don't actually act on it, it's like looking in this mirror and you don't even know who you are, right? You're forgetting whose image you're made in. You're forgetting the fact that he's called you to reflect him. You're forgetting that you're supposed to represent him to bear his name here on earth. That is your calling. That's who you are. You are called by his name. So what God is calling us as his people to do when there is so much pain all around us, this passage answers. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name, remembering it's not just people that are saved, it's people that are willing to reflect him, to operate in his character and his spirit, if those people will humble themselves. That's our first directive today, friends. As the church, we are to number one, humble ourselves. This is huge. Proverbs 11 verses one and two says, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales but he delights in accurate weights. What is this? It's a cultural reference to that time, right? It had everything to do with the way trading and their societal systems operated, but really it had to do with justice. Verse two says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If we, as his people, desire wisdom concerning our identities and what to do in the face of pain and horror and injustice, it has to start with humility, our humility. Okay, but what is humility? Maybe you're asking. Humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Okay, an easier way to think about this is humility isn't thinking less of yourself, 
It's thinking less about yourself. It's giving less importance to your own desires because you understand the importance of the bigger picture. Not our bigger picture, God's bigger picture. And that's what it means, friends, to be kingdom-minded, right? Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Why would the Lord instruct his people to do this before they even pray? Do you realize he says that? He says, you got to humble yourself first and then pray. Why? Because until we do that, we cannot possibly know what the heart of God desires for us to pray. I got to tell you, we were asked yet again this week in a roundabout way, can't you guys just preach the gospel? This made my heart ache, friends. We talk about this all the time, but I'll say it again and again and again because scripture could not be more clear. And I feel like we as a culture, especially in the church, still don't get it. Galatians 6.2, I love this verse. We preach this all the time. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the entire law of Christ. JF talked about this last week. Remember the amazing Chihuly chandelier? hanging from those, right? The entire gospel is preached when you are willing to take on, to carry the burdens of your brothers and sisters and make them yours. When you're willing to put your own importance on the back burner for the sake, honestly, of what your brothers and sisters are feeling, that's what God is calling us to. The entire gospel is encompassed in just that alone. The enemy knows this and he works hard to keep us from humbling ourselves, doesn't he? I got to tell you three, very quickly, three areas I see the enemy use to keep us from humbling ourselves. We can preach on this later, but number one is denial, right? When we just deny that humility is our calling at all, that happens all the time. Number two, deflection. When we want to talk about anything else, other than what requires us to be humble. I see that a lot too. And number three, discomfort. When it doesn't feel good to humble ourselves, that is a big one. I wanna focus on this one today. We as the church have to change the way we view discomfort. We're talking about our identity as the church, right? We're talking about what God has called us to do in the face of all this hurt and pain around us. And Paul says it like this, he gives us this really vivid picture. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 12. We're gonna read 12 through 14 and then 26, I mean 24 through 26. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into, baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, 
every part rejoices with it. Part of our issue, I believe, as the Christian church is that we have these incorrect notions of so many things. One of them is the false understanding of all the true forms of worship. We tend to limit ourselves out of ignorance, but friends, our God is so much bigger. We've neglected an entire massive portion of godly worship that's represented over and over in scripture. One such form is lament. Okay, what is lament? Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Did you know that this is often worship? This only seems weird because we've been taught these false ideals of Christianity. There's a plethora of examples of lament in scripture. So many of the Psalms are full of lament. Hello, there's even an entire book called Lamentations. Lament can be worship and intercession. What if we began to realize that the, the mourning, the discomfort, the suffering, the lamenting with our brothers and sisters, with what's going on around us, is actually worship. And if we're willing to authentically engage in this, in the way that scripture describes, we will be pointing people to the Lord. So friends, don't be so quick to push past the grieving. Don't be so adamant in suppressing it all down. What if there's a purpose for it? What if God wants to use it? What if we see it as worship unto God? What if our taking on the burdens of what's happening to our brothers and sisters to the point of extreme discomfort is actually really pleasing to the Lord? Us caring about what they're going through as well. Back to the passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right, first, and then with a proper view of others before ourselves, then we're to pray and seek his face. So number one, we have to humble ourselves, right? We have to humble ourselves before God. And number two, we are to pray while seeking his face. The two have to go hand in hand. Okay, this is a kind of a churchy phrase, quote, seek his face, right? You hear it a lot around church people, but it's not one of those phrases we use in any other realm, and we don't really know even how to explain it to others. But I was praying this week about how to articulate it. How do I unpack it? And the Lord immediately reminded me of the first flight that the kids and I were on together that encountered really intense turbulence. Have you been there? We were flying across the country to see my family, and my kids honestly are amazing travelers. They've been flying that cross-country deal their whole lives, right? It's the only way we can see all of our family that lives back east. They love it. But I remember the first time that they felt the shock of the entire plane shaking and people's things flying and people screaming and then the plane free falling for a second. Both of those tiny little faces of my kids look wide-eyed and look straight to me. In that moment, they were looking to my face before they decided their own emotions and reactions about the situation. Psychology calls this social referencing. 
And really, we see it all the time, right? We see when individuals, especially children, look to their parents or caretakers and they're gauging how they feel about a situation. It could be when they encounter a new place, right? They're looking to mom and dad. Uh, maybe they encounter a new circumstance, any of it. I've been in a crowd before and seen my children like scanning and searching for me, but then they position themselves so they can see my face. And in that moment, they want to see my reaction, my emotions about what's going on. And then I watch them adjust their own reactions and emotions according to mine. I believe that this is a powerful picture of what it is to seek the face of God. As his children, what if before we made decisions, before we reacted, what if we allowed our opinions and emotions about a situation to be contingent on what God thinks about it, how God feels about it, how God's emotions are affected, what he would do, his face, right? I believe that when scripture implores us to seek the face of God, it's calling us to purposefully learn him his heart, what brings him joy, what breaks his heart. The Bible's calling us to learn God's character, what he wants, what he desires. And then in every situation, as we look to his face, right, allow his face to dictate our actions, allow his face to dictate our reactions and our prayers. That's why the passage says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If you are praying without seeking the face of God, you might not be praying his will. We learn so much of his heart and his character and his face by getting in his word, by getting in his presence after we've humbled ourselves. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the father. So we see the heart of God in everything Jesus did. We see this in what Jesus would go out of his way to do. Go, hey, go home tonight, right? Maybe you're home already. Open your Bibles to John 4. Read that account. You see Jesus himself, he lived in a society that did have insane amounts of racism, violence, inequity, injustice. All of that was running rampant then too. You heard JF preach about it last week, right? In the parable that we call the Good Samaritan. Samaritans in that time were half Jewish and looked at, honestly, as all those people as half class by the Jews. In fact, when people were traveling between Judea and Galilee, they would take a much longer route just to get there. We've talked about that before, to keep from entering into the land of Samaria. That's how much they didn't want to interact with them. That's how much racism was a part of that society. And you know what scripture says in that account? John 4. Look at verse three and four. So he, meaning Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to go? Because that is who Jesus is. He put himself in the middle of what everyone else wanted to avoid. In that moment, he goes to a well of all places, which was scandalous in that time of day and waits for an encounter with one of the most disenfranchised people of that time. Too uncomfortable for his disciples, mind you. This is who Jesus was and what he did. Matthew says this about Jesus, and he's actually quoting a prophecy out of Isaiah. Matthew 12, 18 says, here is my servant talking about Jesus, whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. 
I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now this word nations in the original language is ethnos, meaning all ethnicities. This is so important because the Jews really thought that that was reserved only for their ethnicity. Clearly, that's important for us to hear today as well and to preach. A couple of verses down, Matthew concluded this quoting of Isaiah's prophecy. Look at verse 21 in that same chapter. In his name, meaning in Jesus's name, the nations, meaning all ethnicities, will put their hope. We have this hope, friends. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And he is calling us, not others, us as the church to dispense this hope, to reflect, right? To reflect this hope, to be the representative of his passions, his heart, his character to this hurting world. We cannot do any of that without the last part of this verse. And I want to really hit this home. Same passage, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their, their land. Number one, we are to humble ourselves. That has to come first. Number two, we are to pray while seeking his face. Otherwise, we might be praying for the wrong things, right? Not his will. Number three, we are to turn from wicked ways. Friends, we are all on a spiritual journey. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is always desiring to continually shape us to look more like him. None of us have arrived. We are all flawed. We're broken in our own ways. None of us are getting it perfect. Definitely not me. I'll always lead with that. But the days of allowing people to call wicked things righteous, those are over for me. Not that I ever willingly allowed that, but there were times that I was scared for many different reasons to speak out about the misuse of God's name, and that is no more for me. If we look at Ephesians, Paul was seeing some of the same awful stuff that we are seeing today and he spoke directly about it and this is for us as the church today ephesians 5 start in verse 6 let no one deceive you with empty words meaning words with no substance words with no fruit in their life for because of such things god's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore do not be partners with them i want to read that again therefore do not be partners with them this is talking about, not talking about unbelievers, it's talking about people claiming to be believers and attempting to deceive people with empty words. Look at the passage, I'm not making this up. Verse eight, for you were once darkness, that's who you used to be, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Verse nine, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Do you see what Paul explains there? How do you know if someone is a child of the light? Well, their lives will have fruit of light, God's light. And that comes when they're living lives of goodness, righteousness, and truth, not deceit. I love this next part. Highlight this in your Bibles, verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord, right? Seek his face. Do you know that 
That's part of this journey, getting in the presence of the Lord, right? Corporately and privately, letting His Spirit speak to you, getting in His Word corporately and privately, learning His nature, seeking His face, find out what pleases Him so you can bear His name. Do you see how it all connects? Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. Wow. I didn't write that. Did you know that that is part of the calling and purpose and identity of the church? Man, that sure isn't preached much, is it? Wanna know why the church in America and globally really seems to have so little supernatural power? Wanna know why we're seeing a mass exodus of people, right? People leaving the church left and right. Why so many want nothing to do with the church, I believe, is because we aren't doing this. We aren't calling darkness, darkness. We aren't exposing it when we see it. The church has been far more in the business of covering things up. And the only thing I can figure is that the enemy has convinced us that we personally have to be in and of ourselves so perfect before we can speak to the systemic wickedness and sin that is running rampant in the church. And that's simply not true, friend. We know that we, as individuals, repentance has to be part of our daily walk with the Lord. Man, allowing His Spirit to search our hearts and reveal to us things that He desires to change, we must do this, not because our salvation depends on it, but because the kingdom of God, bringing heaven to earth, the kingdom of God depends on it. Walking in the fullness of His power depends on it. But we as a church corporately are called to it as well. As the church, we're to allow the Lord to search what we're doing corporately, why we're doing it corporately. And as the Holy Spirit reveals things that He's been doing a lot lately, we are not to cover it, we are to repent. We are to confess and turn completely away from it. That's an individual practice and a corporate one. And we will never see the world around us healed until we as the church, His church, do this. Scripture calls us to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. That's a huge part of the church's mission. All right, let's go back to the passage. Second Chronicles 7:14. yet again. If my people who are called by my name, bearing my name, right, will first humble themselves and then pray and seek my face, right, together and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. By your word, God, heal this world and do it through us, your church. I want to pray right now. Friends, I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's a part of this message that the Lord has pricked your heart over. Maybe it's understanding the difference between being His people and His people called by His name, right? That, yeah, you can be saved, but not bearing His name. And maybe the Holy Spirit's just pulling at your heart about that. 
Maybe it's that humbling ourselves. Maybe you're starting to realize, oh man, that denial, that deflection, that discomfort, for whatever reason, I've been unwilling to put the hurt, the pain, the brokenness of others. I've been unwilling to bear that and fulfill the law of Christ. Maybe it's that idea of seeking his face. Maybe you weren't even sure what that was supposed to look like, right? That's something we say all the time. But maybe you're starting to realize, oh, it's that social referencing with the Spirit of God. I look to His face before I decide how I react in this situation. And then I pray. That way I know His will, His heart. Maybe it's the turning from wicked ways. Maybe you've been hurt by the church because of cover-ups like that. And I'm so sorry if you have. I too have been hurt by the church with those same types of cover-ups. Friend, maybe you didn't realize, maybe you thought that was the way it was supposed to be handled. Can I tell you, it's not. That's darkness. And we, as the actual church, the body of Christ, are called to expose, expose the darkness, expose those wicked, the fruitless deeds of darkness, the wickedness. We are called to speak it out, to call it out, and then make sure we as a church repent and turn. Man, can I tell you so often, we've even seen the calling out, but not the turning. God is calling us to that, friends, and we will never see actual revival, right? And man, I feel like we get that term, it's so twisted. Like people think it means some sort of like, you know, maybe it's long services or tons of, the, no, 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 you know what revival actually means? It's a healing. It's a restoration back to what God's heart actually is. And I gotta tell you, there's a lot of factions of the church that don't really want that because it's not what they are preaching. Friends, God's calling us to that. I just wanna invite you with us as we do this, as we begin to make sure we are practicing every part daily, weekly, right? while we allow the Lord to transform us. Just lean in. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe it's because you thought the church was something entirely different. Look, I get it. <laughs> I get that. But the heart of God is calling to you and you can say yes to Him. You can trust Him with your heart, with your life. I just wanna encourage you to do that now. Maybe it's one of those other areas. I just wanna pray with you as I pray myself, and God's wrecked me over this message this week. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit begins to really develop this inside of your heart as well. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us without instructions what to do during these horrendous, broken, painful, grieving times. Lord, help us to recognize that the mourning, the grieving, the lament might actually be worship if we're willing to submit it to you, if we're willing to take on the burdens of those around us and truly grieve it with you, not rushing, but letting your spirit do what he wants inside of us, through us. Help us to see it that way and to humble ourselves in that way as well. Lord, we just ask that you help us to seek your face, help us to know what it looks like to 
be people called by your name to represent you on this earth every day of our lives, knowing we won't get it perfect, but God continually repenting and seeking you in that process. And Lord, help us, God, to turn from wicked ways in every way, understanding that the church is called to expose them, not hide them, not pretend they didn't happen, not never speaking of them, expose them, and then repent, turn. Then, God, we know, according to your word, that you will forgive our sin and heal our land. And God, that's what we want. We want healing in our land, Lord. Healing in the church, the brokenness of the church. Help us to recognize what you've always meant for us to be, who we are to be in you and everything that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, what an incredible message. You talk about convicting, you talk about inspiring, encouraging. It's always so important that we remember uh, who we are and what we're called to do as believers. And so we always not only wanna give you food and seed and the word, right? That's what you received right there. We also wanna equip you to go out and live this out. And so part of this process is we wanna leave you with some, some questions uh, that you can reflect on in your meditation time, in your private time, in your quiet time. And it would be even awesome. You know, I, we use this stuff in all of our small groups. So if you're part of a small group of Pacific Coast Church, uh, you can use these questions to uh, you know, enter into conversation together. It's beautiful. So here we go. Here's some questions. You'll see them on the screen. I just encourage, just take a snapshot with your, with your smart device. Question number one. How does remembering who we're supposed to be reflecting remind us to be doers of the word and not just hearers? Number two, what does it look like to humble yourself? What might be something that would keep you from readily doing that? And then number three, what does it mean to pray while seeking God's face? How is this different from just praying? Hey, so those are the questions for this week. Once again, we encourage you, take those, meditate on them, discuss them in your small groups. Hey, listen, if you need prayer, if you wanna get connected, if you want to know what's going on, just text the word Pacific to the number 84576 and a link will come and there's all kinds of stuff on there. We want to be in community and relationship with you. If you're, listen, if you're in the hospital, I'm telling you, we wanna know about it. If, if you need, if you wanna connect with one of our pastors, one of our, one of our prayer, prayer folks, I'm telling you, we want to make ourselves available. Make it a phenomenal week. Once again, happy Memorial Day weekend. God bless you.